Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA? With more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers. I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code BILL at checkout. So please go to FastGrowingTrees.com. Use promo code BILL at checkout. Public safety in the big cities is vanishing. It is a dangerous, deadly situation. The reason it is vanishing is because in many places in the country, progressive law enforcement agents have seized power. And many of these people here in New York City, four out of the five district attorneys, do not believe in punishing criminals violent or otherwise. They don't believe in it, yet they're in law enforcement. And they are bringing in a woke um, program to deal with criminal justice matters. That is beyond dispute. There's no dispute that's happening in the major cities in this country. And therefore, violent crime has rocketed because the criminals themselves are not being held accountable. They are allowed to roam around the streets. Okay? Documented a thousand different ways. And if anybody tells you that's not happening, they are lying to you. Walk away. But even worse than that is the lower level people who are destroying quality of life in our cities. These are the drug addicts. It used to be if you were a drug addict, you were a pariah. You were looked down upon. You were scorned in many areas. Now, there is a uh, percentage of medical people who say, well, it's a disease. And I subscribe to that in the sense that some people are much more susceptible to addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, than others. It's absolutely true. You can smoke pot a lot and maybe not be addicted, but then other people smoking that kind of pot would be crazy addicted. However, you acquire that disease. You do not catch it. You have to seek the disease. And at this point in our culture, everybody knows if you take fentanyl, you may die. If you take heroin, you will be a slave. If you take cocaine, that's likely to happen as well. Everybody knows that. It's not reefer madness, that crazy movie uh, decades ago. Okay, so right now, 
according to the EDGE Treatment Center, which has done an extensive study. There are 22 million Americans suffering from active abuse disorder in America. 22 million. That's a lot of people. Authorities in San Francisco, L.A., New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, on and on and on, have allowed those people to set up camps to live on the streets, to live on private property, where they do whatever they want. So if you have a townhouse in San Francisco that leads down to the street, you could have five people at the bottom of your stoop going to the bathroom, injecting narcotics, doing whatever they want to do all night long. They're intoxicated, but you, the San Francisco homeowner, can't do anything about it because the police will not move them. This is quality of life. It's like an army of zombies, and they've moved into every major city in this country, and even some minor cities, the homeless encampments. Now, homeless, okay. Why are you homeless? Well, 66%, according to the American Addiction Center, of homeless people have histories of drug or alcohol abuse. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. They're not homeless because they don't have any money. They don't have any money because they're buying narcotics or drinking a quart of gin every day or whatever they're doing. They can't function, can't hold a job. All right? They can't buy a house, rent an apartment, because all the money they get goes to junk. They want to get high all the time. That's all they want to do. Yet these people are being allowed to erode the quality of life in our nation. There's no sanctions for them. Oh, oh, we'll we'll build a rehab center. Clue. Most of the 22 million addicted do not want to stop getting high. They don't want it. Now, San Antonio, Texas has, has started a center outside of town, big 22-acre facility to house, feed, and give these people at least a semblance of a normal life. But most of the addicts don't want to go there because they can't get high there. They go there, they can't use drugs. They don't want to go there. So billions and billions and billions of dollars have been poured into rehab centers and this program and that program. In L.A., they're going to give you an apartment. They don't want it unless they can get high. Okay? So you want to build them a house, give them a house? Okay, well, they're going to sit in the house all day and get high. They're not going to be productive. Now, that'll get them. If we gave them all homes, 22 million of them, that would get them off the street and then they'd be getting high in their homes and dying in their homes, by the way. They don't care whether they live or die. If you're an addict, you're self-destructive. You don't care about your life. You don't care about anything other than getting high. So right now we're in a uh, position where about 580,000 people have experienced some kind of homelessness according to the National Alliance to End Homelessness. So we're, we're bumping up, uh, you know, to a, a level 
where it's just overwhelming people. Now, there is a solution to the problem because we had this problem under control 20 years ago. So you give the homeless person a choice. You go to a center, a rehabilitation center, and we'll take you there, where you'll get some treatment about your problem and you'll get food and shelter and an environment where you're not threatened. Or you go to jail. Either or. That's it. Now, in both cases, they're not going to be able to get high, so they will flee. They will not be on the streets anymore under the bridges or on the stoop of the San Francisco apartment. They're going to split as they were 20 years ago and go into the shadows. Because it's either jail, you're not going to get high. In some places you will, but that's corruption. Or the center, the rehab center, where you're not going to get high. In conjunction with that, the various municipalities triple the prison time for dope dealers. So the first step in getting these homeless out of wherever they are is to arrest all the dealers that are selling the junk. Sweep them. Get them out of there. Because the homeless in downtown L.A., or wherever they are in New York City, aren't going to stay there if there's nobody selling them narcotics. They're going to disperse. They're going to go other places where the drugs are. But now the authorities don't even prosecute drug dealers. You can sell fentanyl and heroin on the street. Nothing will happen to you. This is insane. Never used to be this way. But this is what the progressives have brought to us. Now, do I, O'Reilly, feel sorry for the drug addict? I do. It is just a revolting way to live your life. You are rejecting God because God has given you talents. Every human being has them. And you have just wasted all of them. You are hurting other people who love you. How many children are harmed by drug addicts indirectly? My God. So those people should be pitied, but I'm not letting them run wild. That's not happening if I'm in charge. And anybody who says the opposite and you still vote for them, it's on you. And finally, all this murder and mayhem, drug gangs, the people who direct the narcotic sales, kill each other and anybody else that gets in the way. That's who's doing it. And they're armed all over the place. Why? Because cops can't stop and frisk anymore. That's why. All of this goes back to the progressives. Okay. Uh, here's uh, my, and I have to congratulate my staff for, for getting this data in a very short period of time. Because I'm a pest. I mean, I'm always calling them and saying, hey, we got to get this. We got to get that. So I want to know if any Democrat running for office in November, five weeks from today, if anybody had requested Joe Biden come in and campaign alongside them. Just give me one. No one. Now, Trump, as you know, is running around all over the place campaigning for Republicans who ask him to come in. Not one Biden. Nobody. 
And my staff found it out. We went over every all the races. Nobody wants Biden. What does that tell you? Oh, boy. All right. Doug showed. Here he is, everyone, our uh, go-to election guy, Democratic political strategist, but an honest man. And he studies his stuff uh, every day. He's kind of in shadow here. Where are you? Are you in uh, some office someplace or uh, you're not in your house? I'm in an office that is dimly lit, Bill. My apologies. It's all right. You look better. Thank you. (laughs) That was a cheap shot. I didn't really mean that, though. No, come on. (laughs) All right. So we ran down a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, the most important to me is the groceries. So, yeah, people. So, I, I don't know. You know a lot of Democrats. Uh, how, if you're a Democrat, can you vote Democrat with all the bad stuff happening in the country? Well, two things, Bill. First, what you said about groceries is that inflation is a lot higher than the 8 to 10% we're being told. And people feel that. That's number one. And number two, what Democratic candidates are doing is not only not campaigning with Joe Biden, they're running away from the Democratic Party the national leadership and the ideology of the Inflation Reduction Act and big spending. So my party is literally in retreat. All right. So they are banking on abortion and other niche issues in their own states to win. That's what I'm getting here, right? They're not going to run on the national issues. They're trying to get a localized issue with abortion in the forefront. They are, but the polling that I think we discussed last time and certainly the case now, abortion is receding as an issue as inflation and the cost of living are becoming more and more important, which is what's helping the Republicans and the Democrats, as you suggested and correctly, Bill, are out of ideas. Okay, so the Democrats don't really have anything to run on. If you were consulting for a Democratic uh, Senate candidate, what would, you, what would you tell them? Run on what? I, I tell them you're standing against the National Party, you stand against their positions, and you're for the local uh, citizenry of whatever state it is against Washington. That's what All I right, tell them. Not a great not, argument? We're not seeing a lot of, uh, hey, let's seal up the border again from Democratic candidates anywhere. We're not seeing that. And that's a huge issue. We're not seeing that Joe Biden's incompetent on the economy. They never say that because they need the money coming out of the Democratic uh, campaigns. They need funding, right? All true. To me, the big issue, particularly in states like Arizona and Nevada, where there are two competitive Senate races, is the border. And that issue in and of itself could be enough to give the Republicans control of the Senate. But Kelly, who's going to win in Arizona, I believe, he's a Democrat there. Uh, he's a gun guy. And he, you know, he basically says, I want law and order down on the border. I mean, he doesn't, he's not an open border guy. And the, no, candidate, the candidate against him doesn't seem to be making any headway. Laxalt in uh, Nevada, I think, will win. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's not, not even as close as they polls say it is out there. I think he's going to win fairly easily. But let's go to Walker in Georgia. Uh, Do you disagree with my analysis there? No, not at all, Bill. Uh, Herschel Walker should be five to ten points ahead as Governor Kemp is. And Herschel Walker, if he is able 
to credibly maintain that he didn't pay for the woman's abortion does have a 50-50 chance of winning. But as you pointed out correctly, the narrative is about Herschel Walker personally, not about Republicans and Democrats and the issues facing us. If that happens, it only hurts Herschel Walker. Now, I have said that I believe that African-American voters will not turn out in the numbers they did two years ago. Do you believe that? I, I tend to agree with it because African-Americans usually vote in presidential elections more heavily. Uh, the Trump factor motivated them, some for him, more against him. And this year, the Democrats do not have a motivating theme or issue or argument to get minority voters out. And your point about Hispanics is exactly right. The Republican percentage there is well over 40 percent and growing. What about the violent crime issue that the Republican senatorial and congressional conducts are hitting very hard? Why wouldn't the African-American community suffering at the hands of violent crime more so than the white affluent community, obviously? Why wouldn't they turn against the Democrats who are making the violent crime easier? Why, why wouldn't they vote uh, Republican? Uh, two, two reasons, Bill. First, the Democrats have managed to racialize the issue so that if you're pro-law and order, you're pro, uh, you know, uh, cop and pro-Republican. But second, the Republicans haven't made that argument, Bill, the way you make it, which is, that the importance of the crime issue to minorities is much more important to them than to the majority white community. If the Republicans did it, it would only advantage them with minorities. Yeah, I mean, it's just insane if you look at the stats and the victimization, the violent crime victims in places like New York City and Chicago, it's 80, 85 percent of the victims of violent crime are black and, and it's black on black crime. Not whites killing them, right. uh, you know, and, and you're right. I haven't seen that really in the forefront. Now, Donald Trump, the Democrats obviously want him uh, in the uh, next five weeks to uh, be a part of the election so they can mobilize people who hate Trump. Uh, how do you think that Trump or are you seeing any difference in Trump's demeanor now that the midterms are closing in? I think Trump is toning down his act a good deal, Bill, at least from what I see. And the media at this point is giving him less attention than they had previously during the raid and when the January 6 hearings were in full swing. So my sense as the election approaches, Trump will be less and less important to how people vote, except for the hardcore Democrats who hate Trump and will be voting against the Republicans, regardless of Trump, nor no Trump, in the mix. But the January 6th committee is going to drop their final report, I'd say within uh, two weeks, maybe three weeks, and try to make Trump the center of it again. Trying to say, okay, Trump and did it. That's what they're going to do. And everybody knows they're going to do it. Um, yeah. Will that bring Trump back in as a factor in the midterm? It will bring him back if, one, the media tries to make him, which I think they will. But number two, how Trump reacts. If Trump has a, a discreet and specific comment, rebuts it, and then moves on, 
it will be far less potent as an issue against the republic. I don't know if I'd count on that, Doug. <laughs> we I'm have, not uh, on yeah, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I've but, got a Trump segment coming all, up. And, all, all the trends are benefiting the Republican, as you suggested, with the Monmouth poll, and the data is pretty, pretty clear for the reasons you suggested in your talking yeah. points memo, and your audience should remember that. Well, I, they will remember because I'm so obnoxious. I remind them every two minutes. I'm not going to make a prediction now. I will make it probably two weeks before the election. because, And that's when we'll talk to you again because things change yep. so far. But right now, if the election yep. were held tomorrow, I would say Republicans will win both the House and the Senate. And I think you think that too, Doug, right? I do think that, yeah. Right. And we appreciate it. Even we'll though talk the conventional wisdom is to the contrary. Yeah, but conventional wisdom, come on. We're much smarter than that. You know that. <laughs> I'd like to think so, Bill. Hey, Doug, it's try. always great talking to you. Thanks very much. The audience Thank loves you. you. The audience loves you. I get so much positive mail on you, and we'll talk to you in a couple well, of weeks. Well, I, I appreciate the chance to talk with you. It's always a pleasure, Bill. Okay. Everything is expensive these days. You know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call, and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD to 65532. I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day. And we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. And that brings us to um, killing the legends, the lethal danger of celebrity. Because most celebrities do not handle their fame well. Okay. In fact, many celebrities are crushed by their fame, fortune, and notoriety. And here now is the co-author of Killing the Legends, Martin Dugard, everyone. Everybody goes, who's Dugard? How come you never have him on? Number one, he's boring. And number two, look at those glasses. My God, look at those glasses. I'll take him off. Those aviators. Um, anyway, he's got a paperback out, just him, not me. I wasn't involved with it. Called the Epic Battle for the City of Lights, Taking Paris. And uh, this is a trilogy. Uh, next one coming up soon. 
taking Berlin. Uh, and Dugard writes these without me because I'm too annoying uh, and he's <laughs> got to get away from me. Uh, so we'll talk about both of those now. So Dugard, you're, uh, it's a big time. Here you are. Everybody's asking me, where's Dugard? Okay, here you are. So uh, Killing the Legends, you know what my big challenge is here is to try to convince people it's a history book. I mean, they think that all of a sudden you and I are working for People Magazine. And uh, I go, gee, these are three icons that we tell you about influenced American history the way we live now. What are people saying to you about it? Uh, they're surprised we're venturing into pop culture. Um, and I, I tell people it's about time. I think I've, I mentioned Michael Jackson or Diana to you about seven years ago. And you said, no, 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 we're not going to do pop culture. But if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. And that's what this is about. It's three great tragic legends. It's, uh, you know, in the research, you know, from a historical point of view is just the same deep dive we do with all of our books is just completely focused on getting all the facts straight, telling the story uh, and revealing history in a way that people have never they read it before. It. Now, what would happen if you wrote the words deep dive and handed that to me? What would happen? <laughs> you would say uh, either get this out of here or we don't need that. So. That's right. We don't do cliches yeah. in the killing yeah. series. Yeah. But what you and I found out uh, were that, and this is stunning in, in history, that these three men single-handedly almost, you got to give the Beatles credit with Lennon, changed the way we live today. So yeah. we went from conformity in the 1950s, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, everybody looked the same, everybody sounded the same to rock and roll rebellion because of a teenager from Mississippi, Elvis Presley. Changed the whole culture in six minutes on the Ed Sullivan Show. And then the Beatles show up in 64, and from 64 to 69, a whole culture changes again. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And then Muhammad Ali wins the Olympic gold medal, comes back, joins the Nation of Islam, and refuses to serve in the armed forces. And dissent goes crazy, leading to all of the Vietnam War protests. And I don't think people understand single-handedly these guys did that. Well, you know, um, I kind of grew up, I was a, you know, kind of 10 years old to, to a teenager when all this stuff was really hitting. And like, I didn't even get Elvis because Elvis was a little bit before my time. But I remember watching when some of the research of this, watching Elvis's 1968 comeback in Las Vegas. And man, he, he was a dude. I mean, he was an entertainer. He had charisma. You know, watching him on screen in Viva Las Vegas with uh, Anne Margaret, stunning. Um, you know, then Muhammad Ali and John Lennon, all these people, like you said, they really did change everything that we we know of in culture. And, um, you know, all of them, to watch them build up and, and get to the top and then to see the, you know, people uh, take away from them, uh, kind of rob them blind, is it's just really, really hard to to research and to write about. When you say it was hard to research, were you angry at Tom Parker and Herbert Muhammad, uh, the Nation of Islam guy that controlled Ali and Yoko Ono? Did you get mad at them? Yeah, I did. Well, you know, like in any one of the people that we write about, you know, by the time we're done writing about them, we know them as well as, as anybody would know them. So they're, I wouldn't say they're like friends, but they're, they're very good acquaintances. So, you know, if, if, uh, if you had a good acquaintance and somebody's robbing him blind, you get a little bit angry about it. And that's how I felt, especially um, Tom Parker was a crook. Um, you know, the physical abuse that Muhammad Ali endured needlessly that just totally destroyed his life and his, and his career. 
Um, yeah, I get mad about that. Yeah, and I mean, John Lennon becoming a heroin addict, and that's what broke up the yeah. Beatles. It wasn't anything else. Nobody knew that. We uncovered it. We got the actual dope dealer who sold the yeah. heroin to Yoko Ono and, and Lennon. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that nobody nobody understands, uh, and we're able to bring it. Now, I, I before we get to uh, the taking series that you put out, I got one more question that everybody asks. It is such a delight for you to work with me, right? I am just the greatest guy, the collaborator, right? Tell the folks, and I want you to be honest, tell the folks about the process that you research, you send me the research in narrative form, I rewrite everything, and then back and forth. What is that like from your point of view? Actually, you know, we, we've been doing it since 2010. So, um, the first couple of years, I was terrified of you because I, you know, we we never really are together. I think we've only been in the same place at the same time on a half dozen occasions. But as I got to know you better and the, the walls kind of fell down a lot, um, the back and forth became very, very flexible between the two of us. And I became a little bit more vocal about what I'd like to do. And you pushed back on me. And I just think, I think it's the best collaboration in the history of, of uh, literature. And I and I'm not overdoing what I say. Well, that. certainly I mean, we, we sold more more else. copies. You know, the uh, the Killing Series most successful nonfiction book series. But I can be a little obnoxious, right? I I, I kind of mock you sometimes, do I not? <laughs> a little bit. Uh, when I say awesome, uh, and when I tell you that uh, I need to go work out instead of write, um, stuff like that kind of gets under <laughs> your nerve. <laughs> but so uh, you know, I let's put it this way. I, I honestly, I can honestly say I I, I miss you. It's been a while. Yeah, I mean, uh, Marty and I have, uh, Marty's had to deal with some uh, family issues, so we haven't been in touch that much in the last few months. Um, but basically, it's an arduous process to do what we do. I mean, isn't that a clip yes. job? You know, I mean, we're getting things and killing the legends. Uh, first of all, we're putting together a mosaic that's never been done by any histor yeah. historian. It's never been done, okay? That say, look, these guys, the way you and I are living now, particularly in a culture war that we have in the United States of America right now. It started here, these three, all right? But it's arduous because we, somebody said to me on, because I'm doing all these radio interviews across the country to promote Killing the Legends. They go, well, did you interview Priscilla Presley? I go, why would I interview or do guard interview yeah. Priscilla Presley? She's going to tell us about Elvis through her prism. We don't want that. We want what right. really happened with no agenda, like killing the killers. I mean, we went to the guys, the national security guys, who were actually destroying, assassinating the jihadists. But even after they told us what they were doing, all right, we then confirmed what they said. And we were able to do that. But you couldn't do that with a Priscilla Presley. I mean, that's just all personal. We didn't want that. We wanted hardcore facts, and that's not easy to do. No, and you know, it's, it's, I like to think of what we do as investigative journalism for history. You know, we, we go in and we look at everything from three or four different angles. We, we double check all of our facts. We don't put a quote, we don't put a fact in there unless we can verify it. Um, and we find stuff that everybody else seems to overlook or, or didn't think add to the story. And so we, we well, they didn't know these, it. We found yeah. something that people didn't know, like this drug dealer uh, in Killing the Legends and John Lennon. All right, so people uh, taking Paris out in paper, taking Berlin coming up in hardcover, what are they going to, pardon the pun, take away from these books? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I like to tell people if you like the killing series, you're going to like the taking series because um, I stole liberally from some of the great literary devices you taught me. Um, it's fast paced. It's uh, it moves, but at the same time, I tried to do the same thing that we do. I, I take a story that you think you know well, whether it's the fall and liberation of Paris or whether it's uh, the last nine months of World War II and, you know, coming up, I'm doing Taking London, which is about the Battle of Britain, you know, finding and kind of tilting the story on its side and looking at it from a different angle, introducing new characters, um, showing these stories in a way that is in much more than just a war story, just like our books are much more than just history books, so that when people read them, they feel like um, they're being entertained and they're learning at the same time. And, you know, as with anything that, that we do together, um, I really like when people just turn the pages and just keep turning the pages. That's that's the whole point here. All right. The book is Taking Paris, the Epic Battle for the City of Lights, out in paperback. So you can go to BillOReilly.com or Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can buy both books at a pretty good price. All right. So we're not, you're not going to kill you. And uh, that'll keep you out of trouble for about a week. You can read them both because they fly by. All right, Dugard, good job. All right, uh, go back to your California lifestyle, whatever <laughs> that may be, and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? All right, Bill, take care. All right. It's good to see you. All right. All right, Kamala and Corinne. Kamala and Corinne, everyone. So uh, Vice President Harris got in trouble because she suggested that the federal aid given to Florida because of Ian, the hurricane, should be given out on a race-based preference color uh, should dictate that African-Americans get the money first, whatever. Uh, but no, 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 Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House spokesperson, we all got it wrong. That's not what Kamala really said. So first we'll have Kamala, then we'll have Corinne. Go. We have to address this in a way that is about giving resources based on equity, understanding that we, we fight for equality, but we also need to fight for equity, understanding not everyone starts out at the same place. And if we want people to be in an equal place, sometimes we have to take into account those disparities um, and, and do that work. The vice president was clearly talking about long-term investment, not FEMA aid for hurricane response efforts. The vice president uh, and the president have been clear that the federal government has been and will continue to be there for all uh, Americans recovering from these devastating storms. Well, the last part of her statement is true. The White House backed away fast from Harris's comments. Um, but the first part of uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre's statement is false. She wasn't talking about long term. She's talking about Ian and the FEMA money going to Florida because of Hurricane Ian. That's what she was talking about. So this kind of it's spin, but it's really lies. But, you know, look, almost all press secretaries do it, but not at the extent of John, that John Pierre does. It. I mean, she's just lifted that spin bar so high you don't even have to stoop to do the limbo anymore. You can just walk right under it. Trump. Okay. Uh, he's suing CNN. Defamation, $475 million. I'm sure you heard this. Uh, he says that this network, cable news network, is trying to prevent him from running again in 24. And they lie about him all day, every day. So uh, that's in play. And uh, then he says, after the January 6th committee releases a report, if you tell you being any news agency, if you tell your 
viewers and listeners that I wanted the violence at the Capitol. I'm going to sue you too. So that's what Trump's doing. Okay. Will he win? No. Does he know he won't win? He knows he won't win, or at least his lawyers do, but his lawyers get paid. So why not do it? Right. The reason he won't win is because the media is constitutionally protected. So if they want to go on and say Trump did X, Trump did Y, Trump did X, Trump did Y, they can do it with exceptions. If if they did what uh, they did to Herschel Walker in a very specific window, Trump may be able to then go in and, and win the case. But this is too general. But it doesn't matter because Trump wanted to do two things. He wanted to mobilize or re-energize the MAGA base. So now Trump's back as the Avenger. He's going after CNN. And that MAGA base, they love that. So that's a political move, and that's why he did it. The second thing is this dopey new book out of it, anti-Trump book, but it's Trump's fault. He gave this woman, Haberman, three interviews, even though Haberman has you know, battered him for five years, six years. <laughs> Believe me, I get interview Chris all the time. If I know somebody batters me and has been dishonest about me, and certainly Haberman has, she led the Russian collusion stuff. Why would I ever talk to you? I would never do that. But this is the fame addiction. This is what I talk about in Killing the Legends. Fame envelops you. And so Trump says, yeah, I'll talk to her. You know, I know she's going to bash me anyway, so I might as well. But it helps her anti-Trump book. So the book comes out today. This is designed to take it a little bit of attention away. But the big thing is to energize the MAGA base. Okay, now, I was on with Charlie Kirk. Uh, you may know him on the radio. Um, and he asked me about Trump. Roll it. What do you think President Trump, what do you think his role in the midterms is going to be uh, I mean, you're around him quite often. You did a tour with him. You know, there's whispers that he's going to announce for president soon. How do you think he factors into this midterm election? I hope he disappears. Um, because it doesn't do Republicans any good to have Donald Trump around the midterm elections. It's an issue-oriented vote. So uh, the Democrats desperately want to make it about Trump, which is why the bogus January 6th committee in the House will release their findings probably two weeks out before the vote to try to center independent voters on Trump again. See, it's the independent voters, Charlie, that always make the difference. All right. So uh, that's good advice. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're Donald Trump or if you're the Republican Party and Donald Trump was a Republican president, just, you know, play a lot of golf. Okay, let this vote be about issues, not emotion. The reason Donald Trump lost is emotion. Donald Trump did a good job. We've gone over that and over that and over that and over that. And there's no question he did. If, if any of your friends or co-workers what tell you that as president Donald Trump did not do a good job, just walk away. Inflation 1.3 percent. Come on. Real wages up three and a half percent for everybody across the board. That's the average. Um, remain in Mexico policy. Stop the madness on the border. 
The only thing that didn't really impact was violent crime because the federal government can't control the crazy leftist local DAs and governors. So now let the folks vote on uh, what Biden's done. Take Trump out of it. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to the Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So Smart Life, uh, shock and awe. Now, this is a program on a weekly program I do for Vidgo, V as in Victor, I-D-G-O, streaming service, our partner. Uh, check it out if you want to, uh, and you'll see Shock and Awe every week. Now, this week we did an a interesting um, show with John Stossel and Bernie Goldberg uh, about the disintegration of national television, not only news, but programming. It used to be TV was the town square for America. From Anchorage to Key West, everybody knew the Fonz. Everybody knew Mary Tyler Moore, All in the Family. We all had something in common. It was a cultural commonality built around network television. Walter Cronkite, all of that. Okay, That's evaporated now. That's gone because the networks have collapsed. Here's a clip. Go. The latest episode of Shock and Awe. All right, but what about the relevance of the viewing public? So there's no longer any commonality uh, brought to us by entertainment on the three networks. None. It doesn't have any cultural impact at all. Television, I think the term used used to be the town square. The term I've used is it used to be the national cathedral. Uh, When John Kennedy uh, was assassinated, everybody turned to network television. They watched the same thing at the same time. That's a very valuable experience for a nation because in the absence of that, and I think this is your main point, the absence of that means we're not as cohesive as a nation as we were when television was in the town square or the national cathedral and and brought us all together. A kicker to that uh, tease, Stossel, um, and I debate 
who's better, Johnny Carson or Jimmy Fallon. It's hysterical. So anyway, shock and awe, Vidgo. Okay, final thought of the day. We have some data in about uh, Killing the Legends. Fascinating data. So we sold about 100,000 books in one week, which is, you know, good. Um, we've done that before. But the audience is different. So uh, a lot of the uh, political people that watch us uh, haven't bought Killing the Legends yet. And uh, we know that by the reviews that we see on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other places. And um, on Amazon, 87% of the reviews are excellent. book is excellent. I think Killing Jesus had that or about that level. But that's like unheard of. And that caught me by surprise because I thought, I'm writing a different book here about cultural history. The people who like the standard history, killing Lincoln, killing England, killing Patton, killing the SS, they might not go over and like the cultural history, even though it's very important because we live it every day. It influences what we do every day, influences our children, our finances, everything is cultural history. So when I saw the 87%, I went, whoa. But if you read the reviews, it's people, a lot of them, this is the first killing book. They haven't read the others. And because the cover has got the three icons on them, they were attracted to that. Um, and it's a whole different genre. The hardcore history people, that's our base, political history, they haven't come in yet. Now, I hope they do, because you'll like the book. It, it connects a whole bunch of dots and tells you about the society in which we all live. And that's pretty vital information. Let me give you a, an example. So I'm doing an interview, um, and Jason Whitlock, you know, Jason Whitlock. So smart guy, and I'm doing his show. And he doesn't know whether what Elvis, John Lennon did, those two, they both changed the culture, was ultimately a good thing. No, he said, well, it might be a bad thing because we, Elvis ushered in rock and roll rebellion, Lennon and the Beatles, sex, drugs, rock and roll. And we have, that's in play now. It hasn't gone away. And I said, you know, that's an interesting point of view. But dissent is a hallmark of our country. So we don't want a bland society. We want everybody thinking the same. That's what we had in the 1950s. And no problems are getting solved in the 1950s. Civil rights problems weren't getting solved. Uh, the economy wasn't really perking the way it should. Uh, my parents just eked it out. You know, working class people didn't have a lot of advantages. And there wasn't a lot of dissent about it. It was like, okay, this is the way it is. And then once Elvis came in with rock and roll rebellion, then the dissent came. And then the Vietnam era, that the Beatles, boom. And things got done. All right? Problems were solved. However, the dissent movement has been hijacked now by the far left, which wants to destroy American tradition, hates the country. Elvis didn't hate the country. Lenin moved here from England. And Ali was an Olympic gold medal winner. I don't believe he hated his country. But their dissent and what happened was hijacked 
by what we call the far left. And that's what happened. Anyway, we're very happy that uh, people who have uh, read Killing the Legends enjoy it. We hope you will sample and we will have a column Sunday noon and see you on Columbus Day. We will work on Monday. We'll see you then.